Hello and welcome to Praying on Purpose. Last Tuesday, we discussed briefly the concept of shuckling during davening. We introduced a notion that is recorded by the Raman Shulchan Aruch based on the Pasuk Kol Atzmosai Tomarno Hashem Michamocha, that tefillah is supposed to be a completely immersive, dynamic, and animated experience. It's not enough to go ahead and to put my heart and soul into davening, but as we see from that Pasuk, that when we daven, we should put in our arms and our legs, there should be a sway, a movement which accompanies the davening, and that all becomes part of the prayer experience, one in which I display through my actions that I am completely and totally involved in this process of prayer. Today I want to spend a moment introducing another halacha, which at least on the surface would seem to perhaps contradict the concept of shuckling. It would seem to project a different ideal, and we'll try, if we can, Be'ezra Hashem, to point out that while it may appear on the surface to be contradictory or somewhat paradoxical, I think that if we can incorporate both of these ideas together, what emerges is a beautiful blend and perhaps a more uh, holistic model of what prayer should actually look like. Uh, and that halacha is based on uh, really a pasuk that we find in the beginning of Sefer Shmuel. We know that in the beginning of Sefer Shmuel, we introduced to, before Shmuel, his mother, Chana. And Chana, as the pasuk tells us, was a woman who had been barren for many years, struggling with the pain of infertility, wanting so much to have a child. And there's a lot of buildup over here in the story. We read this on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. This is the Haftar that's read. It's a very dramatic story and a very powerful story. But at the moment of greatest grief, as Chana is petitioning and begging HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so that the Pasuk describes in rather lengthy detail many of the aspects, and particularly the mechanics of her prayer. And the Pasuk says, V'chana himedaberes al liba. That Chana was speaking, literally upon, but probably mean to her heart, meaning she was speaking from the heart. Only her lips were moving. That's the only part of her body that were moving were her lips. And not only that, her voice could not be heard. And the Pasuk concludes by telling us that Eli, the Kohen Gadol, who was observing this behavior, concluded that she must be drunk. He did not understand what he was looking at, and he said, well, it must be that since she's acting in such a strange way, she must be intoxicated, because there's no other way to explain this behavior. Well, Chazal, look at Chana's prayer, and tell us in the Gemara and Brachos, that Chana's prayer is to be sort of a lesson, a model, and she becomes a paradigm at this moment for each and every one of us. Says the Gemara, in the name of Rav Hamnuna, based on the Pazik, that only her lips were moving, Mikan from here we see that when a person davens, it is necessary for there to be an actual articulation. There has to be movement of the lips. It's not enough that tefillah take place in the heart. And of course, this is so, even though we know that the Torah says, that tefillah is an avodah worship of the heart, so says the Gemara, even though it's worship of the heart, it's not enough. It has to emerge from the surface of one's body, and it expresses itself through a movement of the lips. And her voice could not be heard, continues the Gemara, and from here we see, 
that it is forbidden for a person to raise one's voice when davening. Now, over here we're talking again specifically about the Amida Tfilah Shmon Esrei. There may be other parts in davening in which it is either acceptable or perhaps even appropriate to raise one's voice. But when it comes to Tfilah Shmon Esrei, we move our lips, but we do not uh, pronounce the words in an audible tone so that others can hear it. On, on this point, actually, there is, if you take a look in Shulchan Aruch, there's a machlokes, um, and the predominant view is that, in fact, one should actually articulate, express, recite the words loud enough so that he or she can hear it himself, right? It is possible to go ahead and to speak in a tone that is audible to myself only, but nobody else near me can hear. So that seems to be the right balance. There are those, the Kafchaim says that actually his understanding of the Gemara, and based on an opinion in the Rishonim, is that, no, even the petitioner, him or herself, the one who is mispalel, even he or she should not hear the words. But we do not tend to, generally we do not follow that opinion. And lechachila, the proper way to daven, would be loud enough so that I can hear, but not too loud so that anybody next to me, next to me can hear. And again, this is like, uh, you know, there's, there's a window, and it's a pretty small one. We have to try, you know, again, as I've said many times, we don't want to obsess over this too much. We want to try to strike that balance. But what, what, what we see over here, and this is absolutely fascinating, is that from the model that's being portrayed over here, the whole idea of tefillah being an experience sort of modeled by Khan over here, in which there is something that's happening, but it's very soft. It's very silent. It exists within the space of a whisper. So that's a very, very different concept. It's a very different idea than the whole idea of, of shuckling. So how do, we, how do we reconcile these two approaches, these two models? You know, which one, sort of which one is it? So I guess the, the, the first answer that we could suggest is one which is pretty simple. And that is actually, there is no contradiction at all, because as we pointed out last week already, uh, we quoted the Shalah, but others said, actually, during the Shemon Esrei, you really shouldn't be shuckling, shuckling at all. So if there is a basis for moving, for swaying during davening, that would be during Pesukah de Zimra, perhaps during Bechus Kriyashma, when one studies Torah. But as we saw during the Amida, during the Amida, it's stillness. A person should really stand still, other than the times in which we are required to bow. We'll talk about that another time. Really, one should stand still. And so therefore, standing still and davening softly, you know, that actually fits together rather nicely in a, in, a, in a nice, neat package. So there really is no, there's no contradiction of sorts there. But as you may recall, not everybody agreed. There were them who, those who felt that certainly, if it enhances one's prayer, the Archa we mentioned said, listen, if this works for you, if swaying during Shmon Esri, if shuckling during Shmon Esri is something that enhances your prayer experience, so that it is something which, which can be endorsed. So how does that fit? How does that fit with this idea of expressing words through, through the lips? I think what we're stumbling upon over here is a certain paradoxical aspect of prayer that we've already reflected upon several times. And that is, I, I think it was actually the very first conversation in Praying on Purpose that we had uh, several months ago where we saw the Gemara Yivamos that teaches that there seem to be two contradictory models that are displayed in the Psukim as to when a person davens, should their eyes and heart be upwards? Should I be sort of soaring in the heavens or down here on earth? Right? One Pasuk, one, one opinion in the Gemara says, lamata. As the Pasuk says, I should have should be face down here on earth. And there's another opinion that says, I should be looking upwards. As the Pasuk says, Nisa el kapayim. And the Gemara concludes that really basically what we do, what we try to do is a little bit of both. 
right? You may recall. If not, take a look back. At, like I said, I think it's the, 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 the first conversation that we had of keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. That's, that's where you find it. Rabbeinu Yonah, who basically says that when we dive in, we have to try to sort of hold these two diametrically opposed experiences in one place at the same time. There is this natural tension that we should feel. It may seem on the surface to be something that will, that will interfere with our ability to daven properly. You know, it's, it's hard enough to understand the words that I'm saying. It's difficult enough to remember all these laws. And now on top of it, I have to be in this completely emotionally dysregulated place every time I daven. And the answer is no, that we can actually, I believe, come to a place where we, we experience this tension, but it is something that could allow us at the same moment to feel uh, a certain degree of, of, of calm. It, it's, it's inherent in the nature of the relationship we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we are constantly moving back from feeling the sense of of, of sort of closeness, of proximity, and then at the same time retreating and sort of standing at attention. And, you know, Chazal tell us, it's probably a conversation for another time, that the Malachim as well, that the angels, the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is something that is, quoting an idea of Ratz of Ashov, that they're, they're sort of moving back and forth and back and forth and being drawn close and then feeling a little bit repelled by the sense of being overwhelmed in the presence of the Shekhinah. And I, I think that when we daven, while it's impossible to move and to stand still at the same time, that, that's, that's obviously not something that we're capable of doing, but there, are, there is a way that we can actually move, but at the same time, the experience is one that could be very still. And perhaps in one prayer, and perhaps between one prayer to the next, there are moments that we are going to be sort of swaying more, and there are moments that we're going to be still standing still. I think we need to listen uh, very carefully to what's going on inside of our head and what's going inside of our hearts at that particular moment. You know, Ailey, based on what the Pusik is teaching us over there, he didn't know what he was looking at. You know, for, for him, based on his prior experiences, prayer uh, only expressed itself, exhibited itself in a particular way. And so therefore, he concluded that Khan must be intoxicated. And perhaps there's more that's going on over there as to why he would have reached such a conclusion. But seeing somebody who is, on the one hand, so brokenhearted and so desperate and standing there completely still and very, very, very soft movement of her lips, uh, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't understand how that could be in any way whatsoever an expression of genuine prayer. And Chazal look at that and they say, no, 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 quite to the contrary. We should look at what she did. That's a model for each and every one of us. But yet we have a tradition of of complete and total immersion, putting ourselves into the experience. And I think that rather than say, well, which one is it? You can't have it both ways. We should realize that what's happening over here is prayer is, is beautifully complex. And we can exist in both of these spaces uh, at the same time. It could very well be that if you're out there listening right now, you, you're you thinking, yourself, I don't I don't understand what he's talking about. Uh, but that could be. And it could be, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but nevertheless, um, this works for me at the moment. So I, I, I ask you to consider the possibility that both of these halachos, while they may seem on the surface, sort of very superficially to be diametrically opposed, they're not. They're not. These are not necessarily two different ways of davening, which they are, but they could also be two perspectives and two angles of the very same prayer. And hopefully, Bezos Hashem, if we try to think about this more and internalize these ideas and think about the ways in which we are guided and directed to daven in terms of the 
physical sort of construct of the prayer, then it'll help us understand over time on a deeper, more meaningful level what tefillah is really all about. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Oh